Yeah. Hello? Yeah, what's up, Bailey? Bro, I can't... I... I it's... Just give me a second. Here, talk again, Kyle. Kyle? Kyle Maggio? Are you talking? Yo. What's up? You can hear me? Yeah, but it's because I turned my AirPods off. Let me try to turn them back on one more time. Okay. All right, try talking again. What's up? You're still coming through my fucking... What the fuck? Audio and video settings. Why is it so hard? Alright, try again? Yo, what's up? Alright, there we go, finally. Okay. What happened? It just wasn't connecting? It was just playing like very, very quietly through some background speaker in my laptop so it literally sounded like you were across my entire apartment well that's wild yeah that's why i was so confused all right let's see if we can get a uh, corbo to talk a little bit here if he's still having issues corbo and skype man not a match made in heaven I think the best part about this is how frustrated Ant probably is listening to us talk shit about him right now and not being able to defend himself. Yeah, just unable to do anything about it. Yep, you just gotta sit there and take it. It's rough. It's a rough life. Yeah, so yesterday, this has nothing to do with the call or anything, but I'm just gonna kill time. Uh, I went, I went to go pick up the new puppies paperwork and i met the puppy's father and holy shit how big is he i have never in my life seen a pit bull that big it was it was almost obscene it was obscenely big it was like the size of a german shepherd like almost like the build of a german shepherd if german shepherds also did pull-ups and basically think of every standard size pit bull head which is already pretty big and then double that that's what the father was and that's what you wanted uh i just wanted a pit bull so i, I was apparently... gonna say how'd you end up with this giant breeding farm monstrosity of a dog i it's a very very it's not really even that long of a story you know i was just as i explained to you guys once i was promised a pit bull for my boy that i went to school with and then his dogs couldn't get pregnant or his you know his female dog couldn't get pregnant she had an inverted uterus so that's just wildly unfortunate for her and uh yeah. ouch yeah and uh so he's like oh don't worry i promise you guys and he had he didn't even have to do this he was just like oh i'm so sorry i'll um I, i'll make i'll make it up to you you know my boy owes me a favor and i was like okay and he's like oh he breeds pit bulls and i was like okay and he's like they're just a little bit bigger so i was like oh, i don't really know what the fuck that means but Sure. So then he sends us the page, and I mean, if they look big, 
But then when you see them, it's, uh, it's a whole nother story. So, like scary? No, like it's really, it's really not scary. They're just like they're big babies. Like this dude came out of nowhere and he just first time seeing me, he's already wagging his tail and he just like rolls over immediately, like the biggest mushiest baby. And I mean, that's kind of how this pup is. He's he's just chilling all the time. I mean, he just sleeps on top of my back or my neck. So he's a good guy. Is Mace threatened? No, Mace is the threatener. I, am I in here? Yes. And hey, what's up? So what's up, boy? I, I, think, I think my real microphone she just shit out. Oh, no. Like, I think it's done. Um, which is really, you sound really, fine. I'm on my headphones, but yeah, it's really, really unfortunate. So let's do it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo. I've got with me today Kyle Maggio, as always. What's going on, buddy? I've got barely... Bah, I can't talk. Barely able barely to speak today is me, but I've got Bailey Carlin with me. What's up, man? What's up? How's it going? And then the host of People Talking Sports and Other Things, Sam Morell. How are you doing? How are you, man? I am doing pretty well, doing pretty well, avoided some technical issues, and we're on the ground running. So, let's start with, uh, let's start with a reunion of sorts, Carmelo Anthony coming back to the Garden. We got some claps, we got some boos, what did you guys think of the game? Uh, you know, I'm definitely glad he's gone, for sure. You know, it's like it's watch. I mean, we won with role players last night, right? So that's pretty cool that mm-hmm. guys like Ron Baker and uh, you know Michael Beasley just went off. But the way they were moving the ball was just awesome, and that's just not something that would have happened with Melo. So it's nice to see him, you know, shooting five for eighteen on another team or whatever he should, you know. But it it's also. It's bittersweet. I think he seemed like a good guy. I just I don't like his style of play. I think he deserves cheers for being a professional. But I'm also if we didn't win the trade, then you know I think it would have been different. But we clearly won the trade, and that we just got him out of there. It was a toxic situation. We got Cantor, who's been awesome, and and McDermott's been a huge surprise as well as the Bulls' second round pick, which is going to be a, a nice pick, I think, unless you know. Um, so on the pod with us today, we have Bailey Harlan, who is one of the biggest mellow supporters I think I've met in my entire life. Um, Certainly. So Bailey, where do you stand on Mello's homecoming last night? How emotional of a night was it for you? Um, I mean, it, yeah, it was emotional for me again. I'm a huge Syracuse fan. Um, uh, that transitioned into a lot of different things. Always love the Knicks. Always watch the Knicks. Um, but it was it was definitely emotional. Um, I think Nick's Twitter and NBA Twitter was a lot more appreciative in general than the crowd seemed to be. He definitely I didn't expect the I expected to hear some boos because especially boos tend to be louder than cheers. 
Um, so I expected to hear some during introductions, but I was surprised the first couple times he caught the ball um, that they booed him. But then they stopped booing him and he started missing. So uh, I guess it worked out. But it was it was emotional again. I, I love that guy um, a lot. So I was happy to see him get out of the situation as well because it was a crap situation. Wish he had played a little bit better in his return. But again, I, I did find myself still rooting for the Knicks and still wanting them to win, which is what they did. So... It was it was sad. I was sad to see him boot. It made my heart hurt, but it happens. Was uh, yeah. I just go ahead, Kyle. Oh no, I was just gonna say I, I feel I, I love I love having here at times. You know, I think I tweeted about it yesterday, uh, and I feel a lot of people feel very indifferent with Melo because it was like, yeah, his playing style it wasn't conducive for for wins here, and obviously he has his many flaws as a player, even when he was in his prime. He just did. It's like a, it took a very uniquely built team, you know, to win games around him in the '54 win year, and even the year before, it took a, you know, just a different blend. But um, it, I think it's it's tough because you know that he was a a star, a pretty good one, and it's frustrating to not see him win, but. You know, individually, he put up pretty good numbers, I would say, up until about 2013-14 when the injuries set in and uh, the lottery teams kind of were built around him after that. You know, I mean, it didn't really work out that well. So I think it's a a lot of us are just very indifferent because we're like, yeah, I mean, he didn't when he had the better teams, they didn't really do maybe what we hoped they do. And that kind of stinks. And then after that, you know, management kind of failed him a little bit too with really building a better team around him. And then after that, the timeline just didn't mesh because then they had Chris Stapps after that uh, that tank year. And it was just like, you just grew to appreciate him more individually than you did with team success. At least that's how I felt. So um, I, I definitely enjoyed his time here. Um, I'm only 26. So, I mean, he's one of the greater Knicks of my lifetime, which again, Take that for what it is, but I'm 26. I didn't get to see all the the better glory eras. I see the highlights and everything. I know the history, but um, it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out here. I wouldn't say he needs to get booed relentlessly. You know, I'm not saying retire his jersey. It's just like, you know, I appreciate your time here. We had a good run. We had some big moments, some fun times together, but just didn't work out. I think there's something, you said something interesting too, Kyle, about how he he could win in certain situations. It reminded me a little bit of Allen Iverson, where it's, you know, offensively, he had to shoot so much that you really had to surround him with really good defensive players. And when a guy holds on to the ball the way Melo does on offense, it's kind of a drain, you know? So it doesn't, it feels like people play better defense when they're getting involved. It's why Popovich's teams always really seem to excel. And Melo... He wasn't a malleable player at all. Players always had to change their game. I think Amari is a face-up player. He changed his game when Melo came. Mm. Uh, Tony seemed to ask things out of Melo that he was not willing to give. You know, he didn't really play within the offense. And uh, right now, he looks to be a liability on both ends because offensively, he's not shooting a high percentage. He's getting exposed on picks. He's a player, I'm just... You know, I, I loved watching him hit daggers at the end. He's he's a skilled player, but it's I'm really happy he's not a Nick. And I think yeah. uh, on Twitter's uh, Jared Mintz made a really good point, saying that um, 
to a lot of people, Melo was the consolation prize for LeBron. They really, people thought LeBron was going to come there, which is probably never realistic, but people were hoping and thought LeBron would come. And then they got Melo instead when LeBron decided not to come. And then no team that wasn't LeBron James's team went to the finals the entire time Carmelo was there. So I think that is definitely something that hurts too. I don't think anyone expected him to be LeBron, but I mean, the, Le- the LeBron Melo rivalry was, I mean, their talent levels weren't close, but they battled um, up until the time when he was in New York. I mean, Melo had a winning record against LeBron when he went to New York um, in their one-on-one matchups. So I think people expected them to battle more and we never even really got that outside of that one Miami series, which didn't, I mean, he played well, but it was never close. So yeah, I, mean, I just remember Baron Day. Getting carried yeah. off the court. What a depressing series that was. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, and it was competitive. And I think he had one really good game in that series, like to push it to to push them not getting swept, I think it was. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Kyle talked it was, about no, it. it. It was game four. He dropped 41. Yeah, so like he definitely had yeah, those exciting moments and stuff. Favorites. But reasonably to battle with LeBron, because he was, he was with LeBron at that point. Two years before he came to New York, I think, is that famous game winner he iced in LeBron's face. Um, from the elbow, so people people were expecting that. I don't think it was unreasonable, but I mean, it never, it never, it just never became what it was supposed to be for him, for the team, for anything. I, I find right. it really interesting because LeBron always had, you know, up until Melo came to New York, and it speaks to that winning record that he had. Like Melo, uh, LeBron always had the weaker team around him. It seemed, you know, Melo always was getting surrounded by more players. He was getting Allen Iverson, kind of who we talked about earlier. He was getting guys like Chauncey Billups on his team. You know, he, LeBron seemed to be carrying the teams with lesser players to the finals. And, you know, then it just 180 so extremely. And it's hard to tell, like, what would have happened if they ever matched up against each other with evenly matched teams or anything like that. But um, kind of moving on from last night's game, I want to think about Melo again in, uh, in a Knicks jersey one last time. Do we uh do we want to reminisce on some mellow memories? Just one one last go around. I know we've mentioned some of our favorites. Sam, do you got one in particular? Yeah, um, just to pick. We're saying though, I think you're he excelled with a point guard who could shoot. Someone like Billups or Kidd, and and he never seemed to really excel when he was like the leader, which is what LeBron did. He excelled when he was kind of like the other guy. Right. right. He, he could be the best player, but not the leader. I think the best memory for Melo, in terms of just his pure scoring awesomeness, would, would be against, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, against Chicago. Uh, sure. He pulled up on the wall, dang, drained a three. In his, it was a regular season game, but it was just insane. Drained a three in his eye. Game went into overtime. Drained another three in his eye. In over, It was just too insanely defended. Both. both to win the game. So that was my memory of Melo not being, just being unstoppable as a scorer. Yeah. And the best part of the best part about that, because we did, a, we ran like a little poll on Twitter and a lot of people respond with that moment was it's so funny. Cause it's just like, I think it perfectly describes Melo because he's done that so many other times and everyone's hated it and everyone's complained about it. But when he makes those shots, it's the best thing ever, but he missed so many of them so many other times. Um, but yeah, that was honestly, aside from his 62-point game, that would be mine too. It was just exciting. They were good. He he just seemed unstoppable by the moment. He seemed ready to lead a team. He seemed ready to take charge. Like I remember me and my friend watched that game and then just like went outside and played basketball for like four hours because we were so hyped. We just went outside and played one-on-one. Like It was one of those games, like just excitement that has been few and far between just with the Knicks in general over the last however many years. I have more of a like yeah. – uh, 
like a montage of like moments that kind of compile one for me. My favorite mellow memory is every time he would get his headband knocked off his head and get a not and not get a call for it. And just the look that he would give the official after that would happen is probably my favorite mellow memory in New York. Just that attitude right there was everything we needed. The for post six the years. face that is I can picture I can picture that face in my head right now. Just the turnaround and look at the ref with or when it would be all crooked. He'd have yeah, one yeah. over his eye and just to spite the ref he'd walk down to the other end of the court with his <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, if oh Kyle, did you want to throw a mellow memory out there? It, it, no, nah, it's I, I've talked about it like eighteen times this on this, this podcast. Yeah, it, I was I was at that Chicago game. I was over the players' tunnel, and I lo- I lost my fucking mind during that game. I just the whole garden was electric. Um, yeah, it was just because I was on the side where he hit those buckets too, and it was just like, yeah, I don't know. It was it was the greatest it was the greatest game that I had been to. For sure. And just having it be like the best or one of the, you know, top two or three mellow games as a Nick is pretty uh, exciting in hindsight. So, yeah, that's that's my end. easily. We kind of have a new mellow in town these days, uh, a kind of unpredictable, streaky player by the name of Michael Beasley, who went ahead mm. and dropped 30 all over the Thunder last night. And yeah. I, he's just having like this incredible December. He's like actually seems like he's playing a role, and then he's stepping up and having these huge games. This is the second thirty point game of the season. What's never what know is what going on? Know well, you know, it's funny. It's like we get these. We had Derrick Rose last year. We really we love to get high picks who didn't really pan out. You know, I know Rose did, but like when Rose came in and said we're going to be a super team. That's when I was like, this dude needs to be medicated, you know? <laughs> and then we got Beasley who looks like he's saying similar stuff in the off season. You're like, what the hell, man? What is this guy talking about? Go to New York. And he's looked like an offensive juggernaut, man. He, Cause you know what it is too? He's, he's doing a lot of the moves that Melo does from the left side, but he makes a decision a little more quickly. And I think that takes the offense less out of it. Just as a spectator, that's how I see it. I think that's an interesting point. His game is definitely resembling a lot of like what we wanted to see for Melo at the four for all of those years. Um, so he's that's, making the passes. Yeah, he he's he's really he's an interesting down low player. I don't know if I necessarily expected like someone as good in the post as he was when we got Michael Beasley on this team. I and can't... I think that's the thing with him too. Like he can, at least I'm speaking for myself here. Obviously, as always, that's how this works. Um, but he. <laughs> came in I he could have not scored a point this entire year and I wouldn't have been surprised like he could have done nothing for them he could have sat on the bench and just been crazy and talked about what percentage of his brain he's using worn watches on his arms and his feet and his neck like he was over the summer and that would have been fine for me but the fact that he's actually contributing to their offense is it that's what like the fact that he's giving them anything like yeah they sacrifice on defense when he's in there but that's 90% of players in the NBA you sacrifice on defense when they're in there. So him being fun and just making things exciting. I think we talked, I was on, this might've even been last year on our uh, Christmas with Clem podcast last year, where I said, it's just nice to have role players that aren't terrible and are fun. And that's exactly what he is. And the fact that they're getting quality starts out of Michael Beasley in 2017 is pretty crazy. Um, Do you think Michael Beasley is still wearing watches on his ankles and we just can't see because it's the winter time? 100%. 100%. Yes. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Without a doubt. Every time How about McBuckets, man? Yeah. McBuckets is this. 
McBuckets, Courtney Lee, like it's all of the role players. Like everyone's really coming Courtney together. Courtney Lee is not even a role player though. At this, Courtney Lee is a leader. He's like basically our leader this year. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, him and Lance are the the co captains. I think uh, someone put out it was like what two weeks ago. I think it was Begley put out that uh, him and Lance had been elected. You know, the co captains uh, of this team, and I I kind of thought that was great. I think those are two great. Choices and Courtney, I think both as a clubhouse guy was already good, and now just kind of filling in the gaps and stepping up actually on the court with all these various injuries. You know, KP missing a game here or there, Timmy uh, is out a couple of weeks now, and you know, Courtney Lee just you know steps up. You know, when those guys were in, he you know, no problem scoring eight, nine, ten points. Those guys are out, he th- he's tossed up a couple of 20 plus point games, so. It's a beautiful thing to see when guys can just step up sort of seamlessly like that, like he's been doing. And also and he's... Like I'm sorry. Good, you're I, good to go. No, you're fine. I was just saying that, you know, to make those guys co-captains shows your commitment to defense. It's not about who scores the most points. It's about guys who are just leaders by how they play, but also guys who bring it every night on defense, Lance and Courtney. Yeah. And it's crazy because those yeah, and I was gonna guys say, who are like, they talk about you, you know, you talk about stability and like you want that in the captain, and kind of that's what I think of when I think of Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee. Like they're gonna give you the same things most nights. What's crazy about them is that they're the guys who have been on the most teams in the league throughout their career. Like both of them have been on a ton of teams and both of them are kind of finding a place to call you know home in New York lately. And you know, just seeing them step up, seeing them like give you the same thing every night or more is I just think it's awesome. It's fan- it's really cool to see. And what I was going to say is, yeah, like, um, and I'm going to obviously talk about, like, merch because that's my specialty. But the fact that, like, Knicks fans are clearly, at least the ones who follow us on Twitter and retweet our stuff and, like, buy our shirts and stuff, like, they're clearly making deeper connections with these players than I think they did in years past with these role players and these bench guys. Like, you think anyone would have had any interest in, like, a Lou Amundsen or, like, a Shane Larkin shirt a couple of years ago? Yeah, I mean, like it it is like you like we get throwing out these designs and stuff, and like the fact that there's interest for them is is crazy to me. It's so exciting because we just went a long time without having really any lovable bench guys. Like, yeah, we had Pridge, but he wasn't even a bench guy at one point. But outside of like Prigioni and Prigioni, like Steve Steve Novak, I'm I'm talking since Steve Novak. I'm talking since that good year, like. Like we had like what Sasha Vojacic like no one cared about him. All no right, all right. Lonely. like <laughs> you know. I, I, I've, I've suppressed some of this, and you're bringing it back up. No, but you're making a good point that the New York Knicks fans are smart fans, and they respond to guys that play hard and play the right way, and that's why this bench is lovable. Like fans are getting behind Kylo Quinn, and they're getting behind guys who are playing tough because that's the that's the style. We're, 90s Knicks is the is the Knicks team for everyone in my generation. And it's like Starks, Oak, Mace. That's who we love. That's what we want. So when we see even like a remnant of that on the court, we get amped up. You know, Ron Baker, is he the best scorer on the planet? Is he the best, best talent? No, but he plays his ass off. Sometimes to, you know, his own detriment. But, you know, I, I, I love it. I love that this it, these guys are memorable because of how they're playing. Not just their talent, but how they're playing. They're playing within it looks like Hornacek's system. And it's making them fan favorites. And it's making a lot of them fan favorites. And a lot of them are just kind of like, just like misfit type guys too. Like Ron Baker, just like, he's just like a misfit type dude. He'll go in there and he'll look terrible. And then he'll bang like 11 corner threes in a row. And it's just like these guys, they have moments where you just want to like pull your hair out. But they're just such 
enjoyable and they're fun. And I don't know if that's partially the age of social media too. Like you get to feel like, you know, these guys so much better, but I see like Ron Baker post a fu- post a funny picture. Like that pic, that stupid picture of him with the pizza box that keeps showing up. Like, I just feel like I know these guys so much better and I care more about them than I did guys in previous years. And I don't know why that is, but it's a hundred percent true. It's ridiculous. Like yeah. Ron, ba- Ron Baker is from Iowa. Uh, it's from Kansas. I almost said Iowa, but basically the same place. Ron Baker is from Kansas. He's like, he has no, like, there's not a big reason why he would relate to New York Knicks fans. And yet he does. Like, he comes out there, he's just like, you know, like sloppy hair dude. He's got the picture of the fro that I'm staring at right now. Um, it's it's ridiculous. That. And then, like, and it's like the guy, it's the KOQ beard. It's the, you know, it's Kristaps kind of being an awkward star on his own. It's It's the rest of this team, like, kind of, you know, following that lead and kind of making their own thing be appealing to the fan base is awesome. Like Christoph Porzingis has people writing articles about him liking Instagram models pictures. It's just a weird, it's a weird world of Knicks that we're currently living in, but it's, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's also, it feels like a, like a fish out of water comedy, you know, it feels like a mighty ducks movie. (laughs) (laughs) Foreign kids like Neela Keena and Porzingis, you picture them just like showing up on a bus and like mm-hmm. looking around Times Square, like where am I? You know, and then they're leading this team. Like Neil Akina is nineteen, and he's getting fourth quarter minutes, and he's bringing it. So, and then we got Jared Jack, who's like he's kind of playing the role that we thought Ramon Sessions would play. He's kind of the veteran. He's he's playing great. I mean, th- there's a lot of these quirky characters that feels like a movie, kind of. It, they're definitely, I would say, among the most interesting teams in the NBA. If there's any team that I would want to make a movie of right now, and I guess every time you watch these guys play on TV, you are watching a little mini-movie in itself, but it's it's probably the Knicks. Like, the Warriors are gonna are just kind of boring now at this point. That's kind of what everyone's talking about, that they've been, they're so good, they've been doing it for so long that no one wants to watch it anymore. Um, you know what? The, there's a, the Warriors are like the guy in Casablanca who's like the perfect guy who she ends <laughs> up with. You know, the guy who's like in the concentration camp and is like leading the resistance. The Knicks are like bogey, you know, they're flawed, but they're fucking cool. You know, I, they're, they're, they're lovable. Like w- with those flaws gives them character. I love that we're comparing the Knicks to Casablanca. <laughs> I was going to say, there's probably about what, 1 million to one odds today that we get Casablanca reference in here, but I'm, doing it, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Don't get me wrong. Oh. I think too, like, it, like it definitely is like partially social media and stuff. But now that um, I watch um, legally, of course, all like the in-game feeds, <laughs> like the in the in-stadium feeds of all these games, and you get to see like the weird, quirky little games and corny things that they do with each other, um, like the players when they're that, together, yeah. and it's like the odd pairings. Like it'll just be like Ron, or it'll be like Ron Baker with like Damian Dodson, or it'll be just like some these random two that you would never guess would just be like palling around and. I think Jared Jack's really fun too. I think he's a fun personality, and he's the. I think he actually is that veteran leader that um I got screamed at on Twitter and in our Slack group that everyone said Ramon Sessions was going to be. It's been um a guy who everyone I think we almost all collectively wrote him off as he wasn't going to make the roster, and he's been he's been a nice surprise. He really has. I didn't write him off, and I I didn't write him off, and I'll tell you why. I'm a delusional fan like a lot of us are like i really mm-hmm. see the best like i remember when the knicks got quinton richardson zach randolph and eddie curry and i was like biggest flung core in the league like this <laughs> this 50 wins easy like that's how i think so and, and that, that's like what keeps you around as a fan but then you oh, have definitely. jared jack 
But I was looking at his stats, and when he played, the last time he was healthy, his stats were great. He was like a, he had like eight assists or something a game when he played for Brooklyn. So that was my thing. I was like, if he's healthy, he could be. He's always been a smart player. Yeah, and then it helps too that he plays a Hornacek, and I've said this a couple of times too, um, in, in prior podcasts. It, you know, I wouldn't say Hornacek's an overly good coach or a great coach, but there's one thing that he's done well in his coaching career, and that's coach point guards. And I think you're seeing that, obviously, with Jared Jack. I think he, I wouldn't say he's had like a, a resurgence, so to speak, but, you know, he's aging, but he plays in a system that allows him to, you know, it's tailored to his strengths a little bit. And you mix that with the fact that they let Frankie, you know, close out seemingly every game he's playing an important fourth quarter minutes and it's like you know it's it's just very beneficial i i just think that that's one takeaway because i know we all like to rag on rotations and uh coaching decisions at times that's any fans for any team in the league but i think that's one thing that hornacek's always done well and i think that's one thing he's doing well here so far and i think the results kind of show with you know jack playing well frankie developing at a pretty good clip yeah, he's averaging six assists a game. So I mean, he's he's moving the ball. He's doing. He's playing within his strength. And, and you're right. He Hornacek's always done pretty well with point guards. And the Knicks haven't had a really efficient point guard in a while. It's it's been a while. So oh. it's nice to see someone play smart. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me Derrick Rose isn't an efficient point guard? My God. Shocking I mean, news. I, I shocking. I was not a fan. I was not a fan of. His. None of us were. Yeah, I wouldn't say anyone on this podcast was. Maybe a couple of the listeners out there, but none of us, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah let's not unleash the rosebuds. Never again. That was a long year, Jesus. Um, so, no, I just find it kind of crazy, too, that we're talking about all these guys. Like, you know, we just spent, you know, 20 minutes talking about Michael Beasley and talking about Doug McDermott and Courtney Lee and Jared Jack. And, you know, we haven't really even talked about, like, you know, KP or Tim Hardaway or, you know, we talked about, we touched on Neil Aquino a little bit, but, like, it's kind of crazy how the guys who are kind of around the core of our team have been so solid and given this team such an identity where, you know, the stars can kind of, like, and, you know, these are young stars. These are guys who kind of are coming up, and this is the first year they're trying to put this whole team together. It's kind of nice letting them be able to figure their thing out while we have such a solid core underneath. Um but I yeah. need to mention a, a yeah. can I just mention a quick side note? Yes. Um, so I was just looking through some old Knicks rosters, like on Google as we're talking here, and I just need this is this is a fun uh interactive thing for the fans. If you I was looking at the Knicks twenty fourteen roster, and you know on Google how it gives you like all the pictures and the names of the people up top. How disrespectful is it that Travis Outlaw's picture is his mugshot? It's literally <laughs> all of these people. It's all of these people in their jerseys with their professional NBA headshots, and then it's just Travis Outlaw with his with his mugshot, which is also extremely ironic because oh his God. last name is Outlaw. It's just really exciting. I'm it's looking at it right now. I, I forgot we had him. Yeah. Did he even play a yeah. game for us? Like, I feel like he came over in a trade, and then we didn't even – I don't remember him ever taking the court. I see a picture of him in a Nick jersey, but yeah. I see him in a red – in an orange jumpsuit right now. I'm like, well, that's just disrespectful. <laughs> Man's got to get his – his SEO game up. Um, he, he never suited up. He never suited up for the Knicks. Yeah, he's I like. Think. Uh, I think he came, he was like in the same trade as like um, 
think uh, Wayne Ellington came over at one point too and didn't play a game or anything. But um, uh, Quincy AC and Travis Outlaw they got. Ah, uh, yep. They traded Jeremy Tyler and Wayne Ellington away, I guess. So they had Wayne Ellington for not very long. Yeah. You guys yeah. remember Jeremy Tyler before he got in the league? Like, he was a super hyped-up guy. Yeah, he had some buzz around him. Didn't he, like, disappear and not play in college, or he did, or he yeah, played in yeah, Europe or something weird? He, he, got, he got into something, and he was just like, nah, I'm just going to go overseas and avoid this whole college situation, come right back and get to the NBA. And then that didn't happen for, like, three or four years. It took him a while to, like, make a team. And then he... Just bounced around. We had him for a little while, and Emma. All right, we're I getting. I remember being we're getting excited to watch him in summer league. Sorry, yeah, we are. We're getting way deep here. That, so. I don't know if we can. Uh, I, this might be a hole that we have to get ourselves out of. Um, <laughs> we need to get excited here. We need to talk about KP because we haven't talked about KP at all this podcast. Uh, he's in, he didn't play last night, which is really really disappointing. I was hoping to see the you know first or the second edition of KP versus Melo. Uh, and we talked about in the, on the last podcast how much we'd like to see a healthy r- rivalry develop between these two players. But um, he should be coming back soon. What are we excited to look forward to from him coming back and how we think he's going to fit into this team? Well, consistency well, is, is the big thing. I, he's got to be consistent because, you know, he, he's the guy now. So, you know, last year, and he didn't get the shots he deserved last year, but last year he was kind of the off-ball guy. Now we're, we're posting him up a lot, you know. I, I like when we kind of work it through a system, but he he's looking pretty good as a finisher. I mean, if he can keep doing that, like seeing him throw down these dunks, it, it's really, really fun. And seeing him uh, seeing him consistently just be able to playmake is so big because he's so tall that being able to pass out of double teams will be huge for him. Um, just... You know, continue to be a great rim protector because I think uh, Cantor there is great for him because having like a, a guy who bodies up because he's not KP is doesn't have the body to be that guy yet. So having a guy like Cantor or, or uh, O'Quinn really bully the team and let him be the other guy, just be a good rim protector because he's got the freedom to be that guy the way like Marcus Camby was or something like that. Yeah. Um... Uh, no, uh, one thing that you just said about, you know, KP starting to pass out of the double teams, that was one thing right before, literally right before he got injured. That's what he was doing. I think uh, in the Brooklyn game, he had four or five assists before he went down. And I think all except one were him just passing out of double teams. Brooklyn just kept sending help. KP every time, like clockwork, you know, wasn't even rushing. He would wait for the help. As soon as the help came, he turned, look, he'd like find Lance in the corner, Dougie in the corner. And it's like, that's perfect. That's beautiful. That's the kind of development that you want to see him, you know, start to make in his first season as the number one option. And for him to do that in the first like quarter of the season, to me, is like a a really big progression. You know, it's not just like he spends 60 games, you know, forcing some shots up. It's like pretty early on. He's already learning, like, all right, well, when the help comes, I'm going to just kick this out every time. And beautifully, just four quick assists. Guy, you know, a lot of shooters on this team now. Guys are going to hit those shots. He's going to keep looking for him. And that was something to get excited about right before he, you know, tweaked whatever he it, it was that he tweaked. But yeah. like I'm excited will, the like, other night. I will say, too, like, that is something, like, passing out of a double team isn't easy to do. 
like people make it seem like it's an easy thing to do. It's a diff- anyone who's ever played basketball like that split second when you realize something. It's the most overwhelming thing ever, and that's why people make such poor choices with it. But it's almost like something clicked before that Brooklyn game, and he's like, "Wait, I'm seven three. and he put the ball above it because he he has a tendency to bring the ball too low sometimes, um, bring the ball around his waist and make himself a lot shorter than he is. And I remember specifically in that game, just put your put your arms up, put your arms up, pivot, and find someone. And he's he's able to do that. I don't think it naturally comes to him. But I think that's why it's even more impressive that he's starting to do it because he's clearly cognizant of it. And if he doesn't want to be a ball stopper um, and he doesn't want to be someone that you can just easily throw a double team at, it's going to make mistakes. He's got to it's something he's got to be working on sooner rather than later. One of the other things that I'm seeing from him, too, is he's coming out of the gates a little bit too hot headed lately. Um, I He's a guy who really wants to, you know, he's, I've said this before, he has a lot that he's trying to prove. He's trying to prove that he can win in New York and put together a successful team. It's his team now. And I know that he always wants to get it going from the start. But too often, the teams that other teams will divert too much attention to him from the start. All their defenders are on. And you have KP who's just firing up some wild shots or getting some early fouls and really getting heated from the get. And if he could just kind of play with a little bit of a cooler head from the first quarter and then let himself kind of get a little bit more fired up through the rest of the game, I think that's going to benefit this team's momentum even just moving forward. Yeah, and as far as his uh, him being healthy or him being ready to come back soon, um, I think if you follow him on Instagram, this is a like update as of 15 or so minutes ago you would know that he's probably in good spirits and good health because he just posted a picture of him. Uh, remember that picture from of him from the other night where he was sitting on top of his Lambo wearing Tim's? I think it was a Lambo. It was a beautiful car. Um, he posted a picture now on IG of him, like, zoomed in of the Tim's, and the caption is, there's no spaces, just dead-ass Tim's season facts beat. Let's do it Let's with three it. crying emoji. Yeah, so I think he's. I think he's all set. I think he's probably, he's probably ready to come back. In my honest opinion. So speaking of other guys, who got to come back. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is still out for a while. No real updates there. How bad is the team missing him right now? They're missing him. I mean, he's been a, a huge weapon. He's he's a good shooter. He's uh, he's more athletic than I than I remembered. I mean, it seems like he's worked on a lot. I mean, he's averaging over 17 a game. So he was he was killing teams, and uh, he was a better creator than I remembered. I mean, he's he's worked on his game a lot. So he, when he comes back, they just it's even more depth. And now these guys who have been coming off the bench have all this confidence. So I think we look like a like a solid Eastern Conference playoff team if they, everyone comes back healthy. Yeah, I think one thing that, as much as they they surely do miss him, because in that stretch, he you know not just his scoring, but he played he had a really strong playmaking start to the season too. Because I think he's averaging four or five assists, and uh, you know probably the same amount of rebounds if I remember correctly. And thankfully, we have Courtney Lee on this team, who's a similar kind of player in the sense that. He's a, you know, he's a shooter. He's looking to score, but at the same time, he's just, he's not going to, you know, kill you with eight or nine assists a game, but he's going to make the right read on plays a lot. And that's something that I've started to see Timmy do this year. And when you said he works, you know, he looked like he's worked on a lot of things. You know, I don't think it's just athletically. I mean, he's just come in and yeah, I mean, he's going to score on you. He's going to get buckets. He gets to the line at a really high rate this year, which I, I, that's one thing that 
you know, the Knicks kind of missed since he's been gone. Guys haven't been as aggressive, but um, just the playmaking. I think, honestly, if it wasn't for Courtney Lee doing some kind of playmaking from the wing, I we would have been in a lot more trouble. But that's something that they have sorely missed because he would just kind of break defenses down and then things would just start to happen. Like I said, you know, whether he gets to the line or, you know, he, he'd find somebody cutting or, you know, he kicked back out. It was just things that we never saw in that first season, you know, first couple of years in New York. Like if you would have told me he would become this well-rounded playmaking wing and it wasn't just him sitting outside jacking up threes, I would have laughed because you never would have guessed it from, I mean, anything that he was doing. And he showed to be a pretty capable defender now too. So, I mean, yeah, you miss a guy like that. I mean, they're, they're faring okay right now because of some sort of outlier performances from Beasley and whatnot. But I mean, they, they do miss him for sure. And I will say, too, I've been really impressed. And I think that I've read an article, just like it's not really an article, but a short blurb. And I think it was, I think Mark Berman wrote it for the Post. Um, but just talking about how he's been kind of like a leader from the sidelines and how it mentioned how he got passed over as being a captain for the team, which I don't know why he would have been. Like They just got him. Um, but and how like he, he it was just funny. He said, like, he didn't really want to step on anyone's toes, but he's been trying to pay attention and notice things during games and help people out where they are. Um, if they're willing to hear his advice, he's willing to give it to him. And it's just, I don't know, like he's only what, 25 or something like that. Like those are the type of things that you like to hear from those kind of guys. He's young. Um, he's exciting. And I just, I like like anytime they've been interviewing him or they've had him at halftime or after games, even when he's injured, he seems to just be really paying attention and really be invested in talking about everything like that. So I just, I don't know. I like, I like guys like that. That's still like, he doesn't have to be on the sidelines with his injury, but he puts a walking boot on and goes and stands on the sidelines, cheers, celebrates. I like it. I like the guy. And it extends to all of these guys in the team. Like everyone's really bought into the team and all the leaders and the guys who should be leading the team, even if they don't have titles attached to them, like Hardaway, like they're just going to do their thing. They're going to be leaders in the way that they know how everyone's kind of bought into the team. Everyone's respecting the job that Hornacek's doing or whoever they're looking at in charge. Like, they seem to be into what management's put together around them. And, you know, it's working. Like, you know, credit to everyone where credit's due. Like, you got to give credit to Perry and even the Mills. Like, it's, it, they put together a fun, capable roster and really made the Carmelo Anthony trade look like something that was good. It looks like we lucked out in it. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's just an exciting thing to watch, I guess. Um, so, kind of on the last couple of notes before we get out of here tonight, um, we got we got Christmas coming up, and I kind of, or I guess you know, just the holiday season in general. I'd like to know what you guys do around the holidays to celebrate with the Knicks. If there's uh, anything in particular, any games you like to hit, any places you go to watch them, or if you guys got a favorite Knicks Christmas game you might want to throw out there. Uh, okay. I mean, I always like, I always look forward to the Knicks matinee. That's always been fun for as long as I can remember. That's just very, very fun to just wait, you know, wake up, hang out with your family, you know, go to your mom, you know, your parents' house and just chill. And then as soon as you get there, at least for me, I go a little earlier and, uh, game's already on. Get that out of the way early before, you know, Christmas dinner starts to really, Take hold of the uh, take hold of the day. So I mean, I like to just get out of the way early, has my full attention while you know the meal is still being prepped and whatnot. So I've always enjoyed that. And uh, my favorite Knicks game memory, 
probably the first year we probably the first year we got Amari. I remember that was a they were wearing the green jerseys and they were playing the Bulls wearing the red jerseys. And I remember this was pre-Mello for that first half of the year when that team was really fun with uh, Wilson Chandler and Gallinari yeah. and, uh, you know, Felton the, the still, yeah. Raymond Felton, the good time that Lockdown we had him. Was, uh, and uh, Landry Fields yeah, in his prime. Yeah, and I remember Amari was just, like, terrorizing Derrick Rose. I remember he he had this, like, wild, vicious chase down block. Like, Rose was just – this is prime Rose, mind you, you know. And he's just full burst down court. And we all remember what Derrick Rose that in 2010 looked like. That that guy was just unbelievably quick, unbelievably fast, and even faster with the basketball, it felt like. And he just, like, races down court. And then you see Amari coming out of nowhere with just, like, three or four big-ass long strides and just swats you know, Rose's shot. And I think they got into it uh, after that because Amari, you know, he's at home. It's Christmas. He was playing uh, at an MVP level to start that year. And I mean, Amari started talking shit. They went back and forth. And I mean, that was, that was just a fun game. It was a very entertaining game. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of other games, but to me, that's the one that sticks out. Yeah, I agree. I'm usually like five or six mimosas deep. By the time the next game comes around, it's nice to just kind of lounge out and watch that. And usually um, you kind of know where their season's going to be at already by Christmas. So you really know if it's a serious game or what's going on or not yet. But I just I, I do like that it's usually a day game and you're able to just kind of watch and relax. Daytime basketball is great. It's just anytime I could watch a basketball game in the middle of the day, I can all have work and all have anything else to do. It's a beautiful thing. So the fact yeah. that it also comes on Christmas, so I'm fresh off a bunch of presents and time you can't really can't really beat that yeah i mean i love it i wish the game wasn't at noon i wish we were like the 2 30 game it's a little early for me i work pretty late usually but uh playing the sixers this year i'm i'm pumped for that game because hell yeah versus porzingis hopefully they're both healthy and that's a rivalry for like 15 years you know they're both they really are two of the coolest players in the league and simmons is a great player also i mean they're really a fun team philly so I hope that we have a rivalry with them in Boston and it's like back and that we're real. And uh, I'm, I mean, it's Christmas Day. I'm a Jew. So it's like I have no obligation. I just watch <laughs> it all day. I love it. So it's like 10 hours of basketball and I just eat like garbage. And yeah, I'm, I probably won't do mimosas. Maybe like a Bloody Mary. That sounds good. Yeah, that's good. That's right and, and, uh, and as before, before uh, you go with yours, uh, Touching on the Philly thing, I remember when the schedule was released and everybody anticipated this Knicks team was going to be a, a pile of, you know, on-fire garbage this season. And the schedule came out and everybody just groaned collectively, you know, because the Knicks, it was that game against Philly. And then they groaned about Philly because it's like, well, we haven't even seen Simmons yet. You know, what do we what do we know if he's going to pan out or not or uh, and then Embiid, he's not even, you know, what if he's not healthy? And it was a lot of like really big NBA guys talking this way. And it was just like, you know, KP's barely healthy. What if he doesn't, you know, can't be a number one option? Like, why would you put that game on? That's a lot of uncertainty. And then to me, I was just like, because you're basically just gambling on two young teams. I think Philly was probably the more intriguing young team. It maybe still is the more intriguing young team uh, coming into the season. And I thought that was a, a fine gamble. It's the 12 o'clock game. Like, you can relax a little bit. And uh, people just railed against it. And now it's just funny how the narrative shifted because all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we'd love to see this 30-point-per-game KP match up against this 
you know, amazing, healthy looking Joel Embiid. And I'm like, yeah, hindsight's 2020, guys. Like, you know, now you can feel comfortable saying it, but uh, there's no reason to get all doom and gloom about it just when it was first released. But I, I find that funny. I'm really People looking for love to hate on our Knicks. They love to hate on him. Yep. Like, I, I used Barkley's bullshit of just, and, and he would say it like it was our fault. Like, he would like troll the fans. Just like, you would do what. We even won. You know, it's like it sucks to root for a team that's not winning. But Knicks fans are the most loyal fans, and they stick around. And Sixer fans are, like, they're pretty hardcore. I'll give it to them. So, I mean, it's cool that teams with great fans in, you know, big markets are finally turning it around, like New York and Philly. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I I hate the Lakers, but we'll see what they do. Yeah. I think – that kind of speaks to, I was going to say, with just my memory quick is I was a couple of years ago when the uh, Knicks were playing, uh, I think the Celtics in, uh, in one of the Christmas games. I was just surrounded by a couple of, uh, a couple of Celtics fans on my, uh, on my mom's, hu- my mom's sister's husband's family. And I'm the only Knicks fan in the room. And we're all watching the game on TV. And the, I, we came back and we beat them. And it was, it was an exciting game to watch. So. Um, but yeah, that, it's, it's just one of those times that stands out to me. One of those times that small times as a Knicks fans in time of despair that we get to actually stand proud and, you know, it's Christmas day. It makes everything a little bit sweeter. Um, so last thing before we get out of here today, Sam, you are the host of people talking sports and other things. Um, how's the show going? This is your first season on MSG, right? Oh, we, it's technically the second season because we did the summer. It's kind of like a trying it out. We did four nights a week, and now it's just uh, we're just doing it once a week because you know there's a lot on at night on MSG this time of year. But uh, you know, it's it's a fun thing to do. It's one one day once a week is good for me. Four four times a week was too much. I do I do other stuff. I'm a stand up comic, so I do shows every. I'm doing a show in like two hours, but uh, right, I do shows every night. Yeah, I I, uh, I do the road a lot. I kind of I, I work on my stand up a lot, so that's that's my living. That's like my passion. But I love the Knicks so much that it was kind of perfect. So right. I get to talk who Anthony DeVito, who if you watch the show, you know, is one of my best friends, and uh, it, we get great guests. We've had Starks, uh, LJ, so uh, you guys, you these... guys like uh, Action Bronson on the other day. Right, right. he was great. No, that's right. I mean, and that's kind of something that um, all of us on the pod can really speak to because, you know, this is, it's not something that we do every day either. You know, we all have jobs that we go to. We all have other things that we explore as well. And then just having the place that you can come to once or twice a week for us, we can just, you know, sit down, get everything we need to talk hoops with off our chest and, uh, you know, kind of kind of live in that moment to live in what makes the team really meaningful to us. So, yeah, we can definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I think they what they wanted is like a real fan. And I think they knew that I was a fan. They'd seen me at games before and they I think were a little familiar with me. And I think they just were like, You're kind of the right fit for this type of show we want to do. And um, you know, the formats change here and there, but it's really just like we want it to feel like it's you know, like Anthony's my friend and the way you guys are talking now, that's how we talk when we're at the bar. We talk about the Knicks, we talk about whatever, and we wanted People get they complain to us that we don't talk about hockey enough. It's like I like the Rangers, but I'm obsessed with the Knicks. Right. The Knicks are my that's I'm a big basketball guy. I love the NBA. I always love the Knicks. And there's this tortured fandom 
if you're a Knicks fan, because of course. It, it, the, the last time we won was 72, 73. You know, none of us were alive then, right? So it's it's been so close so many times. And then for, you know, so long, it wasn't even so close. It was just, we were a joke. And now we're, I think we feel like we're turning it around. We're ready to turn it around. And we wanted to make a show that really kind of, we're, we're having fun. We're being silly, but we're like, this is a Nick show. Yeah. And I think it definitely speaks to that too. Like just anytime we have a Knicks fan on here um, to chat with us, like on the podcast, like the chemistry is so natural. It really does seem like you're just hanging, like we're just hanging out because when you care about something and when you've been tortured, like you said, and you can just commiserate together, there's kind of no better chemistry than being able to commiserate or complain yeah. about something with someone. Like when you've been through misery and was probably sitting in there. It's like having a shitty job with someone, right? I mean, I remember I used to hand out flyers when I started doing comedy, and I would, we would like hand out flyers in the street for like mm-hmm. a couple of years. And the guys that I did that with, we're, we still talk, we're still super close. And we're like, oh my God, I feel like we went to Nam or something, you know? And, you know, it's a bit of an overstatement, obviously. But uh, <laughs> we weren't really in, you know, we were in Times Square, it wasn't that bad. But, uh, you know, you feel like you did this amazing thing. But, and that's like kind of what being a Knicks fan is like. You have this bond through, this team that you feel close to. And as you said, the characters and like, we have so many great characters over, over the years, the guys like Sprewell or Starks or Ewing or Oakley or Mason, these guys that really, we feel represent us and represent the city and stand for what we stand for. And and that's what makes basketball so special and makes the Knicks so special. And then you meet other people who feel similarly and, and there's this instant bond and the fact that we've come so close and, you know, I, I know we all feel like hopefully this is the way we drafted Porzingis. Hopefully this is like Ewing, except we win this time, you know, and, and I I feel that in the air. You We see how special Porzingis is and, and that energy is you feel it. So we're hoping. Yeah, we're most certainly hoping we're going to be hoping for a long time, it seems. But we never really stop hoping, do we? Yeah, I mean, look, that's being a fan is being a fan. I mean, you're there yep. through the thick and the thin. You're not going to just, that's why we don't respect these Warriors fans. I mean, I, I, was, I had a roommate who was, I remember, he was like, I'm a Warriors fan. I was like, were you always a Warriors fan? He's like, nah, I was a Lakers fan. I'm like, then fuck you. You're not a fan. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. So you're either, you're a fan or you're not. You know, so I'm a Yankees fan too. I've been spoiled. I'm a Giants fan. I've been spoiled. They they both won really insane I mean, the beating the Patriots was, enough. I'm good for life. I'm good. <laughs> you know, twice, I'm good for two lives. You know, and the Yankees, they did their thing. They, they're always great. Uh, the Knicks have just been the team where, like, uh, we'll be there, though. That's the thing. Is like, right, they don't exactly. win, still love you. That's, that's why it's real. It's like, look, if Porzingis, if he never wins him, we'll love him just, just the same. But if we win, it, it would be pretty great. Like, we, we still love you so much. You know, we still love Stark so much because right. of how they, it's not about the ring. It's about how you conduct yourself and how you play. And that's why this team is so popular because of how they're playing. Yeah. Well, that sounds like just the perfect line to end it on there. So I'm not going to even uh, try to one up that. Uh, Sam, do you want to plug when the show's on and uh, some of your stand up? Well, it's on uh, the show's on um, once a week after games. It doesn't have a real time. They're really, they're really uh, helping us here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know when it's going to come on next. I, I think we're on break for two weeks. Gotcha. But they they air reruns all the time on MSG. I'm, I'll be on Conan again next month, and I, I just taped the Comedy Central special. Oh, 
awesome. it'll come out next year. Uh, it's gonna be good, man. The taping went well, so I'm pumped. And uh, congrats on that. Yeah, thanks. absolutely. Yeah, congratulations. Can anyone uh, catch you around New York City anytime soon? Yeah, I'm at the cellar. I'm at the comedy cellar like every night, and then uh, anything that I'm oh, I'm opening for David Tell Caroline's for uh, the Wednesday and Thursday, and then I'll be in Boston. The 29th through the 31st, this club Laugh Boston. It's a great club. Awesome. Well, that sounds awesome. on the planet. If you haven't seen David Tell, he's the greatest comic ever. He's the funniest human being I've ever met. I can certainly attest that I spent a lot of time watching Tell a couple of years back. Um, anyway, I guess we'll throw a couple plugs out there. Bailey, you're running the merch store. We have anything new coming up? Um, not anything directly that I could think of right now in the pipeline, but usually around Monday morning, my brain starts functioning again from the weekend. So I'm pretty sure we'll have some new stuff coming this week. We still have all the oldies, but goodies, um, in the store. Um, we have a, we have a meetup coming up too. Uh, looking like December 30th. Uh, we are going to be at Smithfield hall. We've talked to all of you guys about this for weeks now. So please come by. Sam, if you'd like to stop by December 30th at uh, Smithfield Hall and hang out and grab a couple of drinks, we're going to be watching the Knicks take down the Pelicans that night. I would uh, be there, but I'm in, I'm in Boston that night. Ah, uh, that's Boston. near Boston. Gotcha. Right on. Well, that's. I think we're uh, we're 0 for 2 with getting guests to come now. So, but that's all right. We'll, <laughs> Gotta uh, keep shooting. First yeah, of, we, the we first of many doing. meetups. I'm sure there. I'm sure there'll be another one. Yeah, we'll one. be hanging out all the time. But yeah, December 30th, Smithfield Hall. Uh, Kyle usually has that address, but you can just check our Twitter and you'll be able to find it there. Check the site for previews and recaps. Keep listening to TKW Podcast and we'll keep it short for tonight. Sam, thanks a bunch for coming on tonight, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Fun talking. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, Kyle, Bailey, it's great talking with you guys, as always. All right, fellas. Have a good night. Have a good night, guys. Appreciate you listening. Later. Thank <laughs> you.